Hello, everyone. It's November 8th, 2022, and welcome to our very special 7investing live stream event. Today's event is called Checking In on Twilio. This is a company that's been a, a popular stock in, re, in years past, but it's going through some challenges right now. We're going to be taking an objective look as investors at Twilio here today. I'm 7investing CEO Simon Erickson. I'm joined by my fellow 7investing lead advisors, Luke Hallard and Anurban Mahanti. We're going to be drilling into Twilio in just a minute. I'm very excited about this conversation. By the way, we're not going to be holding any of the punches. We're going to be going into both the good and the bad things about the company. But before we start with that, if you're unfamiliar with 7investing, we are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are believers that the stock market is the greatest compounder of long-term wealth, and it's also a long-term journey. And so we provide our seven top stock market ideas each and every month, and then ongoing coverage for each of our recommendations. So if you want to check out 7investing, visit us at 7investing.com slash subscribe. You can get started with just $1 to get an exclusive sneak peek at what our, everything that our platform has to offer. We're very excited to empower others to invest in their future. Uh, Luke and Anirban, I'm, I'm pretty excited to jump into Twilio right now. This is one, this is a stock that's down almost 90% year to date in 2022. But we also see a CEO that has a turnaround plan and a lot of other good things too. But we all agreed this was not a call that was going to be promotional or, you know, marketing or rah-rah cheerleading. We're going to take a real, a real, a real comprehensive and objective look at Twilio. Kind of excited to dig into this even further. And so uh, just doing kind of some agenda of the, of the live stream here today, this is meant to be an interactive event. At any time, you can actually uh, put questions into the chat that you should hopefully see on the right-hand side of the live stream there. We'll take every one of the questions that is asked. And if you'd like to speak live, let us know that as well. But I think that I'll hand it to Anirban first, who has really dug into Twilio the business. Uh, he's going to chat a little about about their most recent earnings and some of the insights that he has from that. And then I'd like to hand it to Luke as well, because Luke has been a, a shareholder of Twilio for several years and has really been digging in as well. We'll all have different perspectives on this call. We encourage it to be interactive and please post with your thoughts as well. Anirban, let's check in on, let's check in on Twilio. The floor is yours, my friend. How does the company look? I know that you've been looking at it closely here recently. All right. So in terms of their uh, last quarter, the Q3 2022 earnings, the earnings were actually <clears throat> not bad. Revenue grew something like 30%. You know, it's it's about a billion dollar run rate on a revenue basis, half a billion dollar run rate on a gross profit basis. That's a lot of money coming in uh, through <laughs> through the door. It's just not turning that into profits. And um, that's because it has been aggressively investing for growth. And I, I think this model of where, you know, you invest everything that you have and more, for growth works as long as your top line is growing at a pretty solid pace. That's where I think the problem is this quarter, or they basically indicated that for Q4, the growth is going to slow down. Um, and they basically are indicating somewhere, you know, like the high teens to, you know, you know, maybe early 20% sort of growth is what they're going to get. And they cite macro as the reason. So a couple of things here, they're a usage-based platform largely, which means as the usage goes up, um, you know, they make more money as the usage goes down, they make less money. If the, if the usage is going down, that means to increase revenue, they need to bring in more new clients, which becomes harder. Uh, and we have to realize it's a pretty large base, right? Which brings us to this really interesting question of, well, if you're a large, if you're a $2 billion 
uh, gross profit run rate and you still don't make profits, um, then you've got a problem. I think in my opinion, the, you know, then they've of course announced that they're going to make some cuts uh, to their workforce. About 11% of their workforce was let go in September or was announced. That, or, so that's going to save, uh, you know, on some operating costs. They're looking to further fine tune their go-to market model. That should again, uh, fine tune uh, their costs. Um, the, they're trying to streamline their communications platform, uh, go to market, which is largely, you know, so introduce a lot more uh, self-service in, uh, into the scheme of things that should again help them. Uh, so I think all those things are good. I think what, uh, a couple of things the market, I think in my opinion, didn't like. One was pulling away, uh, pulling back the long-term guidance. So they've always guided to a 30% sort of growth year over year over the medium term. They've pulled that. Now they're saying something between 15 and 25%. If you call it 20% in the, in, in the in, 20% is a pretty, is what you'd expect a mature software company uh, to do. So that's something like, well, that's what we expect of Salesforce, that we expect of ServiceNow, right? But those companies generate operating profits and, you know, free cash flow. So these guys are not there and um, are saying that, you know, we're going to get to that sort of you know, more mature state. That That's number one. Then I think there's a bit of a disconnect here in terms of, you know, what they talk about, uh, how they're controlling the stock-based comp. Uh, I think one of the things that management, they, maybe they realize, maybe they don't realize, is they talk about stock-based comp as a percentage of revenue. Saying that, you know, you're going to 15% or 20% of revenue might appear small, but that's the problem is that if your market cap has been completely destroyed, uh, then that 20% or 15% of revenue as stock-based comp is actually pretty large. And the current plan basically suggests there's going to be heavy dilution. So they need to really rethink that and rethink the comp plan. Now, I realize that people, you know, that you you issue stock, but you don't issue all the stock at one go. Maybe there are vesting periods, the vest for a period of time. Maybe people leave before they vest. So, you know, the dilution is not, you know, 10% is sort of the max dilution that you get at the current market cap at a 20% SBC, maybe all of that is not realized, but still it's just too large, too high. Uh, so that's the downside, that's the, uh, the you know, those are the bad news items that cause the stock, I think, to fall. The good news here though, would be that the communications platform is extremely strong. The underlying, so the, a, lot of, a lot of the issues, a lot of the doubts have been around, around their declining gross margins, and we can double click into this. That, their double their gross margins have been do going down largely because uh, of the messaging business, and that's but that's I think that's a computation issue uh, or how you compute them because basically the fees have gone up for uh, for the messaging uh, components. These are determination fees that the carriers charge, and Twilio is basically just passing through that cost. So basically, it's adding. From its revenue line, it's basically seeing the fees as revenue, but then it's not, you know, it's not charging a margin on it. It's just passing it through, which means as the fees goes up, the margin goes down. 
So, you know, I think it's, it's neither here nor there. That business is actually, see, in a way, they've got a problem of a really strong international messaging business, which has even lower margin if you think about the fees, but on a per message basis, they're actually making more money. They've been actually been able to pass on some price increases there. So that business is really strong. Again, I think it, the, the underlying business, the messaging business is strong. They have a budding software business, which accounts for about 70% in a gross profit terms, or 11% in revenue terms. Um, the software business that would have higher margins, that's really strong. Uh, Flex is at a $100 million run rate in four years. That's really strong. So <clears throat> the underlying the business is actually strong. The question really is now the go-to-market strategy and the OPEX of the business uh, and, and some of the perception. So that's, you know, I, I think uh, the final thing I'll say before I hand it over to Luke is there's a company on what about $8 billion market cap with about $4 billion cash. Uh, so, you know, e even if they were to burn somebody, they've got a lot of runway. If they get to break even, they've got a lot of optionality with the cash right now, as long as they make some sensible decisions. And with that, I'll stop. Well, well Luke, I want to hear your thoughts on this as well, but I do want to double-click on a couple of things that Anirman said there, which are important. Uh, for, for anyone that, that has followed Twilio, this has become a communications platform as a service. As Anirman mentioned, it's usage-based. And it got its start by sending out text messages, right? If you wanted to use Twilio to send out messages, either a promotion for a uh, Black Friday sale or a holiday sale or something, or a limited time promotion or whatever it might be, you can have users opt in and then get a text message on their phone that they click and then go through the site and then they place orders. And it kind of has expanded over time to include not just messaging, but, uh, but video and email and social media and all these other things. And those were a lot of those acquisitions that Anirban mentioned too, that had stock-based compensation uh, that was attached to them. And Anirban, like, like you mentioned, there, there's kind of some complexities with those acquisitions. Uh, they, they have uh, issued a lot of stock for, for one, and, and that might be something that's holding them up right now. But then, like he said, the, the core business itself, and Yerban, I want to ask you again about that gross margin of the core business. That's lower than other software companies, but that's probably because they're paying the carriers for each one of those texts or each one of those messages that, that they send. Do you think that uh, Twilio's gross margins that have declined this year, is that a concern for investors, or is that just more of a, a cycle of the economy or, or related to the business model itself? No, so uh, I, th I think it's related to the business model. I'm not concerned about the gross margin. That's a head fake. That's not a problem. I yep. think what I would be concerned about, though, is the growth of gross profit. So I think that's because let's say the margin, we don't care about the margin. What we really should care about then is how quickly the gross profits at dollars are growing. That has actually been on a steady decline. And if I am reading their commentary correctly, what they're basically saying is that our top line growth is going to slow um, even further next quarter. If that, it, me, it, it really matters as to what the mix is, right? If the top line growth is slowing because they're not selling enough software or higher margin products, then it basically means that the top line has been compensated by the lower margin communications or you know the messaging business, which means the gross profit dollars are actually going to become even lower in terms of growth rate, right? But if the if the mix changes such that the 
the lower margin product is selling less and the higher margin product, which is a smaller proportion, um, is selling more, that actually, the, you know, on a year over year, gross profit dollars will grow. But the gross profit dollars growth has been on a decline, steady decline uh, for last few quarters and hit just 25% year over year. So I think that's a concern because that tells us how quickly the underlying business is growing. The overall margin, I think, is a head fake. That's, you know, that's, I think, level one thinking. That actually does not matter, in my opinion. What matters is the gross profit dollars and the OPEX of the business. And one last question here for you before we, we, we uh, hear Luke's perspective, too. But I, I think this is a good question from Giants25 of, will they reaccelerate revenue? Good point. They've got the land and expand. Maybe they're having a problem with the expand part of that equation, but when will they reaccelerate revenue? If ever? okay, so the, I've got an answer to this, and you know, I'll, I'll reference another company. So you know, your revenue growth rates for a company like Google has slowed down as well, or Alphabet has slowed down, right? So I think economically sensitive companies. Not every company is exposed to the economy to a different extent, right? Uh, the the thing is that companies that are usage-based tend to very quickly reflect macroeconomic headwinds and they also tend to reflect very quickly macroeconomic tailwinds right so remember this company was growing at a really crazy pace during covid because there was high usage demand right so in a way it's lapping that now now there is, you know, downturn in certain industries, including crypto and whatnot, right? So those those are impacting its growth. But again, eventually, you know, it's going to have an easier compare next year. At some point, it's going to be the beneficiary of the tailwind much quicker than some of the other companies. So, you know, I think, again, I think you can see very you know, a very quick turnaround here happen as well. When, I don't know. That's, you know, but I would think that this company should be able to do the 25-30% growth rate for a pretty long time as long as it has got its go-to-market strategy figured out. I think they've had a lot of problems with their go-to-market strategy. They've had uh, George Hu, who was leading the ship, resign and leave. He left for I don't know what else to do. Uh, he left at an opportune time. He handed The reins were handed over to his deputy. Uh, that person didn't last that long. Now, uh, then they've got um, uh, a new person in who's from the board again. You know, so as you have that churn, that that sales organization has undergone a lot of churn. There's another thing that has happened as well as what you said. A lot of the acquisitions, right? With the acquisitions came salespeople. When you are a salesperson at a smaller organization, and now all of a sudden. You know, you might be selling into, you know, niche areas. Now, all of a sudden, you're told not, not only have to sell, say, segment or send grade, but you have to sell everything else. Well, it becomes a difficult task. And, you know, it becomes a difficult thing. And it's very easy to lose your good salespeople when your stock price is going down. So those people leave, creating a void, which creates then a pipeline issue and so on. This thing takes time to build. But again, you know, when the momentum is there in the business, those things will happen, right? Um, again, as I said, the software business is really strong and the messaging business actually is really strong. And, the, and they've got 2,000, uh, they've got 50% of global one, global 2,000 as customers already. They have some very large clients. If you look at their, you know, dollar $1 million, dollar $5 million, and dollar $10 million annual recurring revenue uh, or annual contract value clients, those have been growing really quickly. So this... This company has its foot, you know, across the door for some big clients. 
it's a question of executing on the vision and having that go-to-market strategy, right? So I think it can go back to growth. But, you know, right now, the issue really is execution. And we can fault, essentially, Jeff Lawson and company for the poor execution to date, right? Uh, so the question is, can he turn around the ship? That would be the question. And I wonder if that's an interesting point for me to jump in as well, because um, you know, I've, I've been a shareholder for a couple of years. I'm kind of kicking myself a little bit. I feel like I've been a bit asleep at the wheel. I haven't really monitored this one in my own portfolio. Um, Jeff is, by all accounts, an incredible technology-first leader. Um, I actually interviewed a chap who's worked with him uh, about a year and a half ago on a, my previous podcast, and you know, he was raving about how close to the kind of cutting edge Jeff Lawson is really understands technology but you, know, you can have a great technology but if you don't have the right business skills you, know, you can't translate that into earnings and profit and i think that's what's gone wrong um and you know annaban you talk about the potential for turnaround like let's contextualize this so um this is an incredibly important operational technology for twilio's customers this isn't like something behind the scenes that like a Slack or, a, you know, something, a monitoring tool where you could go, okay, guys, it's not working out. We're going to swap it out for something else. We're going to take a little bit of pain. This is like if I'm Uber and, you know, this is a core operational part of my business and I'm sending maybe like hundreds of millions of messages every day using Twilio. So like, there's no way um, Twilio are going to start hemorrhaging customers really. And it's a you know, very cost-effective solution. So, you know, I don't doubt for a minute that um, it's a strong, robust business that will continue to grow, continue to acquire new customers. And with its, you know, it's got a good Dubner, albeit the Dubner's coming down a little bit, the dollar-based net revenue retention, but it's still like north of 120%. So define what that means. Going to grow. What is so, Dubner? What, is, what does it mean, dollar-based net revenue retention? What does that term mean? Yeah, so for, so for every dollar the company earns from its customers, this year, on average, with say 120% Dubner, it'll earn $1.20 next year. That'll compound, kind of getting more wallet share from your existing customers. And that's a great, reliable, kind of money in the bank way to grow, particularly if you have, um, you know, an, an operationally critical product like Twilio's is. So kind of I'm setting out a bit of context, what I'm going to say, because, you know, really important technology, it's not going, it's not going away. But You've got this great technologist and he hasn't demonstrated that he can run a, a great business and generate you know, returns for shareholders. And I'm kind of sympathetic, right? Because many, many businesses were caught wrong-footed by kind of coming out of the pandemic and all of the problems that, you know, inflation and all the other issues we've had this year. But Twilio, you know, they're, they're up there with the worst of them really in terms of kind of, kind of how they're suffering. Um, they've, I, I like the steps that they talked about in the earnings call a few days ago, where I think they've done, keep me honest, Dunno Ben, I think they've, um, they've exited 11% of their team. Um, and now they've, they're doing a lot of kind of consolidation around costs and trying to be a bit more sensible. But actually, if you, if you really sort of weed through the narrative, it's just too slow, I think, to be honest. So as they go into 2023, they're going to start turning up the dial, start moving towards non-gap very important non-gap kind of operational profitability. I, th I think I saw a comment in the earnings call that free cash flow is three to five years away. I mean, that's kind of unforgivable in the current market. I know they've got a long way to go to get to 
generating free cash flow. But um, yeah, the market is not going to look kindly on them for that for the next year or so. And so as I look at this in my own portfolio, I think there are other companies that have suffered, you know, equal or, or you know, even bigger drawdowns over the last year. I think those comp- other companies might be more poised to make a faster comeback just because of this, you know, rather slow kind of turning of the ship that Twilio have planned. You know, I, I think the business is good. I don't, unfortunately, think the leadership team are good. They don't seem to have a CFO, from what I can tell. They've got a, a chap who's the COO. He seems to have a very broad range of responsibilities. Um, I, you know, I, I definitely see that um, if the valuation stays where it is or turns south, you know, they could be under a lot of pressure, perhaps from activist investors um, and, you know, maybe ultimately an acquisition. And perhaps that's the best outcome for shareholders today. Yeah, can I, Absolutely. can I have a quick, rejo- ahead, uh, yeah. just a quick rejoinder on that? So uh, I think I would, I would not say that they've been that bad in execution in, in a way. I mean, the reason I would say, so they made mistakes, but I think one of the things that ha- is happening here is that we're looking at it from a shareholder returns perspective, right? So you're looking at the shareholder returns being decimated and saying that, well, you know, they did a poor job, right? But uh, to, to to counterpoint that, for example, they made acquisitions, but they did not use, they did not raise capital, or they did not, you know, issue debt convertible notes and things like that. They actually used their overpriced stock to make those acquisitions in a way. So you know that so that that was good, right? So that that was pretty smart. Uh, so they acquired both SendGrid and uh, Segment using basically their stock. Right. So I think that that's good. The uh, so Ship Chandler, who is the CEO, he's basically he was the CFO and or I think he was the CFO. And then he's got this dual role. I mean, he's basically his role seems to be CFO ish. And uh, because he's basically dealing with all the numbers and reporting all the numbers equivalent. So I think in my mind, I think the issue they've got is uh, and I think if they get to non-gap, Operating profit, they should get pretty close to uh, free cash flow as well, right? I, I think you know, if it, basically non-gap operating profit would mean that they're basically issuing, you know, they're accounting, adding back the stock if the stock price comp, and that's basically allowing them to get generate operating profits by the end of 2023. Then I would think that they would be getting pretty close to free cash flow. Uh, again, free cash flow will also be a non-gap number, right? Because they're going to add back uh, the SBC. Yeah. yeah. The the issue though, I think, is that. If they're calculating, in my mind, and I think this is the reason that the stock is down. If in, if if they are thinking they're going to add back twenty percent stock to get to free cash flow, they can get to free cash flow, but the stock would be dead. I think that's the. I think in my mind, that's the problem that they've got. There's some, but there's some simple solutions to that. You know, if they make me CFO for this company, I can solve this. I'll just, <laughs> I'll just basically do a two billion dollar buyback, right? Uh, or, you know, issue a $3 billion buyback because I could then buy back not only the shares I issue, but I could buy back some more shares in the market. And I can very quickly get to free cash flow <laughs> positive, at which time, hopefully, my valuation uh, has uh, has reverted as well. It is very hard. That's it. Actually, there was an interesting comment on that in the earnings call because um, Ship Chandler did, he was challenged on doing a buyback by one of the analysts towards the end of the call. And he said, he you know, he's open to that. But I think... Jeff chimed in on the same point and also said, you know, they love having this kind of cash hoard. And they're also thinking about 
acquisitions in the space of AI. So, you know, there, there might be more spend still. And if he's talking about using the cash because he can't use his stock anymore, right? Because it's, you know, been devalued so heavily. Um, there's, there's a can of worms that I'll go into a bit later about AI. Yeah. So I, I think, like, I would be surprised if they get away, get an opportunity to do an acquisition right now. If they do an acquisition, their share, shares are going to be <laughs> culled in half again. So I think as a management team, if this at this point, they pro see, here's the thing. I think they made the deck and the presentation for the analyst day uh, and the Q3 culture together. And they came up with this deck before the shares actually fell 40%, <laughs> right? <laughs> So the, the world moves fast. The, yeah. the world moves with them. And I think an acquisition is completely out. If like, I mean, if you have to be dumb to end dumber to actually make an acquisition <laughs> right now, they have got some capital allocation decisions to make. I wouldn't be surprised really if they don't come back and say, we're going to do uh, a, a, you know, an SBC or sorry, a stock buyback. If they don't do that, as you said, you know, Simon was saying, some activity is going to come on board, raise a lot of noise, uh, you know, or some PE is going to make a lot them an offer at $10 billion, which would be very difficult for them to at that point. You know, if somebody loves an offer at 30% at more than the current price, it's going to be very difficult for the board to turn that down. Like the independent board members will not be able to turn it down, right? Jeff Lawson might not like it, but he's going to be one person among the many uh, in the board to turn it down. So I think they're in a really sticky position and, and they really need to figure out the capital allocation. But yeah, that's what I think. I'll, I'll stop. You know, at the at the end of this call, I'm going to ask uh, myself, Luke, and Anirvan all to rank Twilio on a scale of one to 10 of how bullish they are about the company. 10 is you are going out and buying Twilio right after this call is over. 10 is you are selling your shares and burning them on fire on the way out. But, you know, we're, I'd like everyone in the audience to chime in, too, in the chat on 1 to 10. Where, how bullish are you? 1 is completely bearish. 10 is completely bullish on Twilio today. I do have some thoughts that I wanted to add to this. Uh, this is an incredible discussion. Some great points that are being raised here. I wanted to comment about the acquisitions and the change in the go-to-market approach. Because when Twilio was founded by Jeff Lawson, you know, and a, and a couple other co-founders, this was a business that was sold to developers. This was not going to CIOs and, you know, management decision makers or administrators. It was to the developers that said, hey, we can build something on top of this. This communications as a platform service is really pretty awesome. And it's also pretty cheap. The core SMS messaging costs a fraction of a penny, 0 0.0079 cents per text message you send out. And so if you do the math on that, if you send this out to 10,000 people that have opted in to receive your offer, that costs you $79. You're probably going to get a pretty good return on that. And we, my perspective is that Twilio in that core platform, that core messaging, perhaps even email, this, this kind of core platform that they have, they can still raise prices quite a bit, maybe 50% even, and still get a good ROI for their customers. The other point that was made was the acquisitions. Uh, specifically, when we're talking about acquisitions, we're talking about three transactions. Twilio acquired SynGrid for email API platform for $2 billion on all stock in 2019. That's a lot of money. It also then acquired Segment, which was customer data platform, wanted to break down these walls or these silos of data so that the customers that were using them could see a lot more comprehensive view of who, was, who they were sending the, uh, the, the offers to. And they paid $3.2 billion for that in 2020, also all stock. And then they acquired ZipWhip, which was for uh, toll-free, toll 100 kind of numbers, free messaging. Uh, for $839 million in 2021. And I think this is an interesting um, 
dynamic right now because as we mentioned this is land and expand right get in with messaging then start doing email then you start expanding into social then you start doing all these other things video whatever else it is but twilio paid kind of premium price for those acquisitions and and now even though it's making progress most of them are growing pretty pretty well as everyone points out you know the stock-based compensation uh the 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 premium to what they paid to what some of those companies might have been worth at the time. I mean, some of those mistakes, perhaps in the transactions, it didn't seem like there was such a big deal during the bull market and the growth phase that there a couple of years ago that we were in. Now it's coming back to bite them again, usage based model in the middle of constricting economy. Uh, this is really a, a challenging macro situation to be in. And then the last thing that I wanted to do on those, Simon, just oh, yeah, your, yeah. your view of those acquisitions, because Twilio today is a very different company that, you know, Jeff founded in 2008, 2009. Um, and I do wonder if they kind of got outside of their lane a little bit with, uh, you know, getting away from the core messaging. And if you look, I'm not super familiar with the acquisitions and how they kind of change the, the capabilities they're trying to offer their customer. But it seems like they're trying to put themselves more at the center of the kind of customer relationship. Is that just not their core competency? Or even, you know, perhaps worse, is that, something it's kind of not possible for them to do as the, essentially the message broker. Uh, the, the core based upon messaging about SMS was, was fantastic, you know, revolutionary at the time. Everybody was using it. That's why Twilio became the stock that you saw the stock return that it did in years past. Um, and again, it was very cheap, very good ROI. So something that's just like customer facing, right? Twilio's very mission is to be the ultimate customer engagement platform of the world. And uh, one of the terms we, we throw around with our own advisors here at Seven Investing is, are they empire building? Are they so committed to this bigger picture vision that it doesn't matter if you're going out and paying 14 times sales to acquire SimGrid, you want to get into email. And then you want through segment to have a more comprehensive view of your customer. And you want to get into video. It's like at some point, yes, land and expand, you see the upside for things like that. But when the economy turns the other way, you're sometimes stuck holding the bag on a bloated organization that's not getting the bang for its buck. I think that's where Twilio stands today. Uh, and Jeff Lawson, just one more comment before I want to open it back up, you know, and everyone, uh, feel free to jump in on this too, but Twilio has four priorities that Jeff Lawson has addressed for how he wants to turn this ship around right now. What is the plan? We mentioned earlier, they're laying off about 10% of their global workforce, about 8,000 people, about 10,000 people have already been laid off. They've got some restructuring costs associated with that, that that made their way into earnings. But four priorities that Lawson laid out, investing in platform reliability and trust, I'd say for the most part, they've got that. That's an iterative improvement. Increasing the profitability of messaging. We saw messaging increase 5%, 5% price increase. They didn't lose any customers on that. 122% still DBNRR. So, so you can still increase that iteratively if you want to get a better margin profile uh, on your core platform. Accelerating segment adoption. This is something that would compete against a CRM platform like a Salesforce, where you want to have more a comprehensive view of like, okay, we did this campaign. Not just this many people opened the campaign, but we got this much revenue from it. This is who they are. This is where they're buying from. All of those things, you know, knocking down those daily silos, if you will. And then scaling the flex customer basis so for contact centers, uh, customer service. They've just signed two very large deals with insurance companies, property and casualty insurers that have agents that want to have contacts and follow up with claims and things like that. Um, if they can scale that to truly massive organizations, there could be a a huge improvement to the to the profit margin profile. So I'll throw it back to you guys. I do see a turnaround plan is in place. Uh, I think the execution of this is going to be very hard during the constricting economy that we're in for the next year or two, maybe longer than that, who knows. But at least Lawson is recognizing, hey, mea culpa, we have some mistakes we made in the past. 
let's go ahead and at least try to fix some of them. So I just want to just provide some context. So, so the so the acquisitions that they made, uh, SendGrid was the email acquisition, uh, which fits in into communications overall into communications. It's 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 recognized inside communications now. See, here's the thing. The thing is that their core platform has actually been growing so quickly that email's contribution to the communications platform is only 10%. So the, the reason they acquired it, so when they acquired it too, it was only growing at 30%. So they were actually a slower growing business relative to the core communications platform business which is growing, which has been growing circa 50%, you know, per annum. So, so, mm -hmm. so they've got the mm -hmm. core business is actually super strong. They acquired this because it's higher margin and it sort of fits in with this, you know, this higher level view of having just greater visibility, providing the multiple different tools for communication, whether it's email, messaging, uh, customer data, seeing how campaigns work and things like that, right? So they acquired it for that. But I think, you know, you could, as to Simon's point, say that, you know, they, they paid 3.2 billion or something like that, or 2 billion for, I think, SendGrid. Uh, you know, was it worth it? Um, but again, they paid using high price stocks. I mean, in my mind, it's neither here nor there. Uh, and it sort of fits in. I think that that it fits in with the larger uh, larger goal of of the platform, what they want to turn it into. I think the issue is I, I keep coming back to is that they've got all these different pieces that are actually not contributing a lot of revenue that they want to turn into, you know, they want to take the five pieces and turn it into like, you know, so that two plus two plus two is not four, but five. They want to turn it into a bigger piece. That's just not working for them. I think that's where their problem is. So they keep throwing salespeople and this and that at it. And I think that's where the problem is. The other thing I think they've not realized probably, and they should have realized this, is selling the comps is different from selling software. They have mm, different yeah. buying, buying centers. Right. So your software business is not growing as quickly when you would expect it to grow quickly because you have a very strong comms business and you're a comms platform. You have people who know how to sell comms, not software. I think that's that's so we see that with, with the distribution. So the disclosures, actually, the analyst day are really eye opening in my mind. I mean, they've got messaging, just got lower margin, mixed margin. They've got email, just higher margin, but low growth. Then if you look at uh, but they've been able to pass on costs. And if you look at software, the you know, largely their software revenue is segment, right? So 60% of their software revenue is basically segment acquisition. And Flex, which is organic really, is is about 20%, but it's already at a $100 million run rate. So I think, you know, I think it's, I think they're a victim of circumstances. If their share price was not cut as much as it has been cut and people did not think it's dying, which I don't think it is. If you look at, you know, it's another way to think about an enterprise sales company is to look at how many $10 million, $1 million. So a lot of the other companies that we talk about that have also seen their value cut, I would I would question though, they actually do not have uh, $10 million deals at this volume, right? So this company, for example, between 2020 and 2022 has seen its $10 million deals go from seven to 27. That's pretty significant for a company of $8 billion market cap. Same thing, if you look at $5 million plus deals, it's gone from 17 to 65. That's pretty significant. Again, many of those companies whose valuations haven't been cut as much maybe as Twilio's has, or, or maybe Twilio's valuation had gone too far ahead, don't have those customers, right? So I think the penetration that they've got in the Global 2000, uh, the, the size of deals that they are doing, I think they've got the basic pieces, 
but I think it's the 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 turmoil at that COO level. So basically, George, who used to be COO, then when he left, I think that's where the problem started. And maybe I should have picked up on that. He was an excellent COO. He left, and Mark uh, Borodowski, who's now actually president of revenue at Cloudflare, <laughs> he became uh, chief of revenue or something. He was, I think, you know, one of the lieutenants under George Hu. He didn't last very long in that position. And then they've got now uh, Elena uh, Donio, who has come in as president. She was a board member. So I think that churn at that, at that level. So, I mean, and as a CEO, my job would be to set the vision, right? And said, okay, this is what we want to do. We've got all these great pieces. Now go make it work. Some of the things is just going and getting the sales uh, making the sales happen, right? You might have a great product, but you have to also need a great sales organization. I think that's where the failure is. The failure is at the sales organization level. Uh, failure is at the integration of the salespeople. Failure is that they're trying to figure out, you know, th those people who are selling segment, making them sell comps is hard. Same thing, those people who are selling, you know, email, can they sell segment, right? Uh, but still, the fact that they've got flex at a $100 million run rate in about four years is pretty significant. So they've got, you know, it's a question of scaling the right people and de-scaling uh, or the wrong people, I guess, is, is the question in my mind. So I think they're facing into that to some extent. So uh, in the in sort of narrative where they brought to life, where they get those 11% headcount reductions, I think primarily that was in the sales organization. Um, and they've done a lot of restructuring uh, to focus people around, you know, core competencies and the core products. They've also made some changes in kind of R&D to streamline the organization and kind of offshoring some of their G&A type roles. So I guess they are starting to focus on that, but not to sort of harp on about it. I think they're probably not doing enough. And the fact that, you know, it sounds like they've made the cuts now, you know, the 11% behind them. Now they're slowing growth. Well, you know, that's a very far cry from uh, some of the actions that, say, Musk and Zuckerberg are taking right now to, in, you know, in some ways address similar kind of cost challenges in their businesses. Yeah. The, I, I think uh, there's some good thing. points. I Go ahead, Nirvana. Quickly add one point. So one of the changes that they've made now is they've changed, gone from what they said that they have now functional leadership. So what I read that as, instead of having product leadership, you have, you know, okay, I'm going to take software sales, I'm going to take comm sales, or I'm going to lead the software side, I'm going to lead the comm side, and that allows for more collaboration. It's a very Apple-like organization, which is functional leadership versus product leadership. And that removes the friction of, um, you know, my product versus your product. It's our product. So maybe that will make a difference. Um, but yeah, like, I mean, I think the, uh, another way to think about this is that I think we overrate what a CEO does. A good CEO, CEO combination is, 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 is very difficult. I think that the loss of having a good COO is actually what's biting them, right? And and the, as you said, the current COO is basically the CFO. <laughs> so it's and it shows up in the shareholders' letters too, because the shareholder letters, the CEO comments, president of revenue comments, then the CEO comments, which really the CEO is not the CEO, the CEO is CFO in in a way. So I think those are the organizational changes that they've got. And I'll comment on that one too, as someone who did a decade in enterprise sales, that it's it's very challenging for 
restructuring a sales organization. It sounds so easy. Oh, you just sold enterprise, now you need to sell developers, or you sold from developers, now you start selling. It's really a lot harder than it sounds on paper for, for investors. You know, we've seen this time and time again with companies trying to figure out how to change this, and it, it doesn't really work very, very well. We saw Splunk. Splunk was another uh, usage-based platform. You know, they were indexing uh, unstructured data. They said, hey, Splunk has got a really cool uh, platform that, that developers love. Let's just go out there and start selling this to the enterprise, at the enterprise level. And they put tons of money into this. They put tons of money into their sales force, never quite captured it, at least at what they were expected to. Uh, on the opposite side, and never mind, we've talked a lot about Okta recently, right? Okta was selling at the enterprise level, capturing really fat, you know, 25% margins, cash flow margins from the enterprise. And then they tried to go out through the, and sell developers through the Auth0 acquisition. It's very, very difficult, kind of an awkward transition. Countless others, right? You know, Alteryx, others. Uh, this is a common problem, especially with cloud computing, that it's 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 challenging to try to, one, train your sales reps how to sell to a different client base, and then two, try to convince your customers uh, to buy what you want them to buy in this land and expand empire building. It's a great point, too, that I think Todd, and, or Todd uh, makes in our chat here. He says that one of the problems is that they have not expanded on their acquisitions. They've not integrated or bundled their capabilities to create more verticalized solutions which many of their competitors have. I would just add to that, great point, Todd. Uh, Salesforce is the master of building out verticals and making acquisitions to attract those and then really, really you know, hammering home the ROA, ROI of what they're selling. I haven't seen, uh, at least not yet, Twilio has grown its divisions pretty pretty well, but I don't think the acquisitions, they've really gone to the same pains of, of quantifying that. Uh, and then he also went on to say that they're not an enterprise sales company. I think that's a good point too. Um, I want to get into the uh, the scoring just to kind of keep this moving along, knowing that we're up on about 45 minutes in here. Uh, also, some other great points from Sandeep saying, you know, Uber, Uber migrated away from Twilio and now seems to use an in-house solution. Yes, that's always an option that uh, you can build versus buy if you if you have this. Luke, or did, it, did you, did you want to talk talk about uh, that? Um, maybe other customers doing something similar to what Uber did? Because I know that Uber was a really big percentage of Twilio's revenue for quite some time there. That, that's what I, about I, I forgot actually. I, yeah. I, I forgot that they 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 lost that customer. Bad example earlier, but um, you know, I think my point stands though that the customers they do have, not every customer's got the deep pockets of an Uber and can afford to build this stuff at scale profitably. You know, if you're going directly to the networks and to email providers, probably not going to get the same deal that a Twilio would get on your behalf. Um, so quite hard for the customers to unplug from them. But maybe I'll throw in a. A point that's kind of been, it's been actually been in the back of my mind since I became a Twilio shareholder, but it becomes a bit more pronounced now. And um, like I know they're making moves into video, but essentially, you know, messaging and voice are the core of their capability. Um, and it's where they get the majority of their revenues from. And maybe if I just, if we just sort of think strategically on where the world is going um, over the next five years, 10 years, like the rise I feel like Twilio are getting squeezed, or they, they will get squeezed at some point. The big shift is the rise of intelligent digital assistants. And like a large majority of the use cases for a company like Twilio are kind of contact center type stuff, you know, business to customer trying to deal with a complaint or a, a sale or something. Um, and like we, we're almost at the stage that intelligent assistants can kind of cover like the large majority of those interactions, and maybe it's like a small percentage get kind of handed off or escalated to a real human. Well, you probably don't need um, anywhere near as many voice interactions or text message or messaging interactions 
if there's someone on a chatbot. I know chatbots can be incredibly frustrating today, but they're getting better. So that's kind of one strategic force I think is going to start squeezing them at one end. Then the other end, you know, I know they're getting into video, but the large majority of their, of their, of their sort of revenues is voice and messaging. Um, where, a, where a company has like a high value customer engagement, we're seeing with many of the banks now, um, uh, they're moving to video engagement because you, know, you can do kind of look someone in the eye, do your KYC, you know, show me your passport and you can have you know, a much richer conversation or a, you know, like a wealth management conversation with someone who works at your bank or applying for a mortgage or something. Um, so I think businesses where it makes sense to do so, because it's obviously very expensive, ties up their own people. Um, they're moving in that direction. So again, they're moving kind of away from just kind of voice talking to some, you know, impersonal somebody at the end of a phone line. So I do wonder if these two forces are over time going to kind of start to exercise some compression on at least a slow growth, if not kind of start to reverse growth. Great points. Um, one other question I wanted to to ask before I'm going to ask each of you to give me a one to ten uh, quantitative number on how likely you are to invest in Twilio today. But there was another question I thought was a really good one from Giants here. Uh, he or she is asking, what metrics should we watch to determine if they are making progress? Again, Twilio has laid out their turnaround plan. Jeff Lawson has saying, you know, we are going to make some fixes. I think in uh, correlation to those, I, I think two things we should certainly be watching is the core platform. We should be watching for price increases and improved gross margin. Um, in, in, in the communications platform that they have, you know, messaging is going to be a little bit more expensive because there's more than enough wiggle room there. And then the one thing we haven't really talked about yet is one of the metrics that I think is very important, if not a hard metric, at least announcements of how well Twilio Engage is going to be doing. This is the product they've been working on for the last two years of basically saying, if we want to sell to the enterprise, we want to package all these acquisitions together and then kind of have an automated way for their marketers to do their job. Uh, Twilio Engage is going to be that. It's going to include, you know, all, all the SimGrid stuff, um, all of the things that they had in the core platform, certainly all of the acquisitions that they had before uh, tied together through, through that segment customer data platform that, you know, gives context of who you're, who you're sending the campaigns to. If Engage catches on and then get this all-in-one, you know, full buffet, whole enchilada, whatever, you know, whatever analogy you want to use for it, that's a really good thing. That means they actually are going to start selling to the enterprise and fixing a lot of the things they need to fix. If not, this might be a lot harder of a problem to solve than they anticipate, and we might see further cross-cutting in the future. Uh, Luke or Nirvana, any, any thoughts on the metrics or anything that you're watching kind of going forward here? Yeah, so I, I want to correct if you think. So for example, I would say that, you know, so I think it's wrong to say this company, or at least in my opinion, wrong to say this company does not sell to enterprise. It does. Like, I mean, those $10 million deals, the $5 million deals are, the $1 million deals are enterprise deals, Right. It's just that it's selling mostly, I think, comms to those people, but it is still an enterprise level deal. I think it's just the buying center is different is, is, is the thing uh, that we need to remember is that the, the buying center for comms versus buying center for software. I think that's where the big challenge is for Engage, right? They, you know, so Engage has to find a different buying center, right? So that sales force is going to, it's not just about the product, the sales force for that is actually going to be markedly different in, in so so these i mean in terms of progress the number one thing i would watch is how uh, their opex is growing or slowing so i would like to see them generate more operating leverage at at a two billion dollar gross profit run rate even if you're growing 20 percent, 25 percent, if you can't generate 
operating leverage, there is some problem somewhere in your organization that you need to really address. Uh, that'll be number one in my mind is, you know, I want to see steady operating leverage. I want to see the gross profit grow at a steady rate, um, you know, because everything else is going to be shrouded in, you know, what margins, where, this, that. So let's look at the gross profit and say, well, you know, can I can the gross profit at least grow around, actually get back to, the, you know, 30% level. If the gross profit is growing at 30% level, that'll actually be pretty good. Um, it Now it looks like it's trending actually to the, you know, to low teens or mid teens. Uh, next quarter, but I think that can again pretty quickly turn around because of um, you know the usage-based model. So the, the, in my mind, it's really at a high level opex and the back to growth for the gross profit level. Those are two things that would matter uh, the most. And of course, you know, you know, look at the DBNR. Um, the DBNR can be a bit misleading, right? Because I mean, if your DBNR is 120 percent, then you sh- you know, and your in your growth is 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 30 percent. Then did you only get ten percent growth from everything else, right? The, it's because I think there's quite a bit of churn that gets, you know, you're hiding the churn because the DBNR is looking at the the customers that you have maintained across the two periods. So it doesn't include the churn. Uh, it's not a net retention rate in that sense. Um, so, but yeah, but I think if we look at gross profit, growth, and the opex and the operating leverage, I think those would be the things that we uh, watch. Uh, Finally, I would like to see them do something with their cash, which is not an acquisition. Yeah. I support everything Annabelle said. Like I'd, I'd love to see them just be a, a bit more clean and tidy with the kind of gaps and non-gap uh, reporting. Like if you look at their gap numbers, they're pretty horrible. Like gap loss from operations has increased pretty consistently quarter after quarter. I'd like to see them starting to turn that round. And I, I think uh, Chandler... I don't think he committed, but he's, he responded to an analyst on the call this week to say uh, they would start guiding for gross profit. So that'll be hopeful. At least we can see if the, the, the sort of stall they're setting out in terms of some of the metrics Anaban described and whether they're starting to deliver on those forecasts. Uh, one one last thing that I wanted to introduce was that um, – Twilio is is pretty cheap right now by at least most of the metrics we look at. This is a company that's doing about $4 billion, or at least at the annual run rate right now, $4, $4 billion in sales, has an $8 billion market cap. And when you exclude uh, or you consider the debt and then exclude the cash, like Anirban was mentioning, it's really only an enterprise value, about $5.5 billion. Um, the combination of Lawson and his other co-founders together have got super voting class B shares but even considering those are still have less than 30% of the voting power of Twilio, there is certainly influence from the board that is unhappy about these bloated operating costs they've been incurring. Do you think that Twilio, I think you, you mentioned it earlier in Yerban, but do you think that Twilio is on the table of either an outright acquisition or at least an, an activist investor coming in and shaking some things up from a management perspective? Yeah, like, I mean, as I, I think, I, as I said, you know, a 30% premium and Salesforce buys this and then <laughs> use, uses yeah. its super streamlined Salesforce, Salesforce <laughs> to, <laughs> to actually, uh, you know, do what Jeff Lawson hasn't been able to do. Um, you know, and for Salesforce, it might mean bringing in a product leader like uh, Jeff Lawson, who comes from the Salesforce table, actually, right? Um, and, you know, having, you know, it helps with their succession planning and things like that. Actually, might make, 
And and given that you get four billion dollars of cash or three billion when you exclude the debt, you know, a ten billion, twelve billion dollar acquisition actually is pretty smart. You pay twelve billion, and you're actually only paying an enterprise value of like eight billion. Um, and and you and you you know, and it would um, uh, it would I can nicely fit myself. I think that's very much possible. Um, the one thing I, I did look at the short interest. Actually, the short interest is not that high for a company that mm. has catered completely. Short interest is less than five percent. So that sometimes gives me pause and saying some other people can come and short this and actually, you know, drive the price. I, I I do think if the price goes further down, the more it goes down, the more it becomes interesting for an activist player or uh, a P, for example, a P people can come in, strip the company out sell bits and pieces to different people and and maybe there's more value to be had by you know by, by instead the sum of parts probably does not equal the market cap today so you can sell everything in pieces and you get more value out of it so i, I think as we've talked about this before i think the board must be must be if the board is doing its job should be pressuring lawson to actually behave himself in <laughs> as a time to behave and show what you can do, uh, uh, you know, as, as Luke was saying in terms of execution. So, yeah, absolutely, uh, great, great points there. Um, that addressed, I think, one of the questions from Shri about is there still a downside risk potential for the company like this? Yes, certainly. Our company that's only five percent short interest has got plenty of downside potential even from now, if not counteracted by the fact that it is pretty cheap, at least tradition compared to its traditional valuation multiple metrics. Uh, he was asking as a call recorded. Yes, we are going, we are recording this. We're going to publish it as a podcast, uh, or also to our YouTube channel, which we put earlier in the chat there. If you'd like to follow up on any part of this, um, Luke, let me start with you. You, uh, you are the Tolio shareholder for several years. I'm sorry that the shares are down more than 80% here in 2022. Um, where are you one to 10 on, on Twilio today as an investor? So, I mean, it's not the worst performer in my portfolio by some margin, so don't worry. I'm going to borrow a term from uh, our colleague Matt Cochran's excellent podcast, oh, and Burns too, uh, with like the record rebound. Like, I certainly think Twilio is a rebound, not a wreck. But if I think about my... So I'm going to give you two scores. I'm going to cheat a little bit. Okay. okay. So if I, if I were not a shareholder and I was being entirely impartial, I think they would get like maybe a three and a half or a four from me. Um, but I am a shareholder uh, and I'm very, very strongly considering no longer being a shareholder. Um, and the reason is, I, I, I do actually think we're probably near to a floor. I hadn't considered the, the sort of short potential. I think we're probably near to a, you know, it, can it get much cheaper? It's on, almost on like an EV to sales of one, 1 1.2, something like that. Can't get much cheaper, I don't think. Um, caveat, you know, not a, uh, do your own due diligence. Um, but, uh, so where, where am I going with this? Sorry, let me bring it back in. Um, uh, I think there are better places for my investing dollars today. So the, the small allocation I have in Twilio today, I think is probably has a higher chance of rebounding faster or more reliably in some of my other beaten down companies in my portfolio. So my personal score is a two, I'm afraid. A two. That's uh, that's on the glass half empty side of the spectrum there on Airbon. One to ten. Where do you fall on Twilio? Well, um, I used to have a large shareholding in Twilio, 
Um, and now it's a really small shareholding in Twilio. <laughs> that despite many of my other stocks are also down a lot. Uh, at one point, my Twilio holding uh, was probably about 7% or 6% of my portfolio. Uh, that was when the stock was $400 or something like that. Uh, so that aside, uh, yeah, so I've thought about a couple of things. You know, I have a hard time selling this right now, largely because it's got a great founder leader, it's got great tech, and the sum of parts seems more than the value that they have been assigned. And the $4 billion of cash, I think, is a significant, this is a company that's not running out of cash. It's in other words, there's a significant floor just there. And, you know, as you said, it's like selling at one-time sales, uh, you know, just for the adjust for the lower gross margins, it's, let's call it two-time sales. It, a little bit of turnaround, a little bit of macro change wouldn't take, wouldn't require it a lot to go from like it's it's one-time sales multiple to a six-time sales multiple, right? That'll be a six-bagger, right? And it's not, you know, usually I would bet. So the, the other thing I'd say is that, you know, there have been many companies like this, like, you know, Netflix, for example, has seen 90% drawdowns previously and then went on to become 50 baggers from there, right? So and those tend to happen, but not often, but they tend to only happen with companies that are run by great leaders, founders who you know, have a vision and, you know, want to run and can manage through difficult, you know, is Jeff Lawson a, a Reed Hastings? I don't know. The, the uh, but, you know, seems to be that there is potentially, it's just valuation is too cheap. The, uh, is there more downside potentially? Yes, but, you know, the the way I ca I see this is there is a probability of it going down by another 50%, but there is a probability of it going up 10X. <laughs> Just a normalization of valuation and a little bit better execution, a little bit favorable macro. Um, and on that scale, if you just think probabilistically, it seems that, you know, if I was to, if because I hold the shares, it seems favorable to me to hold. Even if, it, you know, if a 10X is a 5X, is probably I would not get the return I was thinking I would get out of this, but it would be significantly market beating from here. So I would continue holding it. The only thing I've thought about is, you know, if I want to, uh, if I want to be cheeky and play this, sell my shares, replace them by a call option, uh, dated twenty twenty five, that gives you leveraged upside, and you know, you. you That's might, an asterisk to your score in your bond. That's an asterisk to whatever the number. We got a call options for twenty twenty five. Yeah, you get a call option. Got it. Yeah, I, I did. <laughs> I, you know, I, you know, I, I did think about buying actually some call options. Then I didn't thinking that well, uh, a lot of my money has already been under in fire. It's all burning. Uh, you know, buying more call, <laughs> buying more call options might just mean that if the market doesn't turn by twenty twenty five, it just burns even more. But it's I think the valuation. So I'd give it a five. If I wasn't a shareholder, I wouldn't be rushing to buy. Uh, I would rather wait for one more earnings uh, call or for some action from their side that suggests that they are making the right moves. When, if they make the right move and the market sees that the stock is going to at that time bounce pretty significantly, pretty hard, but that might be the better time to buy because you know you might lose a 40%, 50% rise uh, that might happen on the back of good news, but that might also indicate that the management is up to a task. I would be really surprised if I said, the board would be derelict in its duties to the shareholders if it did not 
<laughs> make chuff loss and do the right thing. That would be just, the board would get sued. Like, I mean, there's just no doubt. I mean, the board is probably going to get sued anyways because the stock is down 90%. <laughs> but they would be derelict in their duty if they did not stop him from making another acquisition and did not make him cut costs and did not make him ride the ship, right? So I, I think that's something to keep in mind. And, and I think that's a good point. I'm going to get to my own score here too. We've seen we've seen all over the map in the chat here. We've seen uh, fives and sixes, and we've seen a two. Uh, for me personally, I'm going to give two scores too. I'm going to do what Luke did. I'm going to break their own rules. And I'm going to say that within the next one year, if we were a trader on this, if we were a short-term trader on Twilio right now, I'm at a two because I think anything can happen. I think the economy is going through a tough time. I don't think that the usage-based model is going to be conducive to this and it's got way too much overhead. All the reasons we talked about. I, I'm pretty bearish short term. But then I also look at this and I say, you know, you've got a company now. It is a two times sales from the market cap, less than one and a half times sales on the enterprise value. You've got a, a, a very good leader that I think gets six months. I think he gets six months of patience to, to get his, his action plan to actually work. We had two quarterly results. And then if we don't, I almost am certain, you know, you've, you've got the, the insiders holding less than 30% voting control. Uh, even with the super voting shares. And I think that's just an invitation, cash rich company embedded with customers, you know, ROI driven. This is just the recipe for an activist to get involved, if not a PE firm to start, you know, saying we're going to buy the company outright. And I think that with it being priced so low and all the other mentioned things that we mentioned, I think that over a, over a three year period, I'm probably closer to a seven. That's a lot higher than anyone said on this call. But if you look at the long term and just where it's priced and, and the pieces, um, Pretty bullish for for a longer term investment in Twilio from today's price. I don't carry the baggage like you guys said of the grumble grumble I've been holding through the downturn this year, but it, it's all good context and great points. Oh, we've even got one. We even got a one. I think uh, that was one out of ten. So we have some some other chime, uh, some other comments in the chat here. But this has been a lot of fun. Any any final thoughts, Luke? Let me start with you, and then I'll go to Anirban. But final thoughts on Twilio as we're wrapping up here the call today. I feel disappointed that the company didn't sort of live out. Um, the expectations I had for it. I'm kind of kicking myself though. I feel like I kind of was an investor asleep at the wheel a little bit on this one. I've learned quite a lot actually from uh, just reviewing Twilio in the last few days and then realizing I need to really be on top of it with everything in my portfolio. Fantastic. And well, Luke is just making, making me feel bad by saying that he was at sleep at wheel. Well, I was reviewing the quarters and I still didn't get it. So, um, <laughs> so, Every time this happens to me, I, I think, you know, my lesson really is that, like, I think if you invest in this type of environment, high growth, and, uh, you know, it's very easy to say, you know, you know, I should have sold when it was $400 or $300 or something. But at that time, it seemed like it's going to go to 600 <laughs> right? And the problem is that when, when things are going up, they keep going up and you never know, really. It's very hard. Uh, my only lesson, and this is a broader lesson, in, and I'll try to do a better job of this, and I didn't do this personally. This is more of a portfolio allocation thing. I would actually not have anything to do with whether or not I hold Twilio. I would continue holding Twilio. One of the things that I think makes absolute sense is when the market is really bullish and it's really on a, you know, the crescendo is on and the music is going towards the finale and John Williams is just, you know, making the London Philharmonic Orchestra sound awesome. At that time, you just need to dial back and, you know, move some of your portfolio to cash. So trimming on the way up is it's just, I think there's a portfolio management decision that, I think 
just could make things better. That's that's my takeaway from a lot of my companies that have seen significant pullback is sometimes just blindly holding, uh, you know, and, you know, and, and for my, myself, most of my investments are inside a tax account, for example. I've always thought, well, selling basically means paying the tax man, but maybe paying the tax man and keeping some of the cash aside is probably the right thing to do. Uh, but that all said, it's also very easy to have the cash and deploy it much ahead of bottoms because nobody knows where the bottoms are, nobody knows where the tops are. So, what in a little bit better position size management and things like that is what I'd say. I don't have a regret actually holding this company, um, and uh, you know, I I don't think I'm going to sell it. I might I might actually go and buy the call so that I can burn further of my money, more of my money in serenade, <laughs> in put it in the bonfire. But I do think that you know I might buy actually some uh, 2025 calls that gives them enough time to turn around. Um, and yeah, that's my yeah, draw a contract between us, Anna. Then I'll commit to selling you my shares in 2025, and we'll uh, we'll split the difference. No, no. I'm, I, remind you, me, remind <laughs> me in three years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm buying a call, which gives me the right to buy somebody else's shares. So, yes. Well, to recap those numbers, Luke was between a two and a four on his investing score of Twilio. Uh, Nirban was a five with the asterisk that he might be buying 2025 calls. I'm a short-term short term two, long-term seven on Twilio. Such a fascinating company. Such a battlefield stock right now. Mixed opinions all across the board. We hope that this was helpful and useful and valuable uh, for tuning in as we did kind of this deep dive into Twilio. Uh, also a reminder that, that I think one of the, the best selling points of Seven Investing of our service is the powwow, is of things like this. We have a team of seven really, really bright advisors and we do this exact same exercise like we did with Twilio on this live stream every single month for every single one of our recommendations actually. Uh, it's not just issuing a report and disappearing, but you actually have to put on your battle armor when you are pitching to this team and do your homework and do your research knowing that we are going to ask very difficult questions on each one of our pitches. I think that makes all of us better investors and it's truly valuable uh, to do that level of, of, of diligence on, on every recommendation we make. And uh, we certainly had some good recommendations for you here in November. Uh, Luke put a brand new one on the scorecard and Nirvan put a re-recommendation onto the scorecard. And I pulled uh, an innovative company that was brand new on, onto there as well. So check us out at seveninvesting.com slash subscribe if you would like to see all of our seven stock recommendations each and every month. Uh, if nothing else, go and get signed up for our new $1 trial. You can get the first seven days for just $1 so you can see everything that we have to offer and then make a decision on whether uh, you like our platform and want to stick around. But that's it for checking in on Twilio. Uh, my thanks to Luke Hallard. My thanks to Nirvan Mahanti. My thanks to all of our other seven investing advisors who also contributed behind the scenes for this discussion. We appreciate you tuning in. We will be posting this to our YouTube, which I have posted the link to, and also our podcast next week. We are here to empower you to invest in your future. We are Seven Investing. Have a good day. A reminder that people on this program may hold positions in the companies that are mentioned. Buying and selling stock carries financial risk, which could include the loss of capital. The views in this program should not be taken as personalized advice. Before acting on any of the information provided, listeners are encouraged to consult a financial or tax professional.